We are going to pick up in chapter five, Mark five, starting in verse 21. And this is going to hopefully wrap up Mark chapter five. We are lightning speed pace through the book of Mark, um, getting through the, the, the fifth chapter in, uh, by June. We started in January. So at this point, we should be done by the time the new building is up, which will be great. Um, just kind of just keep going chapter at a time. Um, so Mark chapter five, beginning in verse 21, we are going to uh, read this passage. We're gonna jump around just a little bit. Is it okay if we use our Bibles today? We are going to use our Bibles a lot today. Um, I believe, we believe that this is um, the word of God, the inspired word of God that's living, it's viable, it's real today as when it was written. And we, I would rather this preach than me. And so we are going to see what the Lord has to say about a lot of these things today. So if you have your app or you have an actual Bible, uh, kids, these, this is actually uh, a book. Um, that's what this is called. Um, so we're gonna ask that you use it today. Dive in. Gabriel Boyd, you, that's one, check one. All right, you got two more. Mark chapter five, starting in 21, says this. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, to the other side of what? Sea of Galilee. As, you, as we've been reading through this, we know that Jesus and his disciples have been kind of on what we would call maybe like a miracle or a teaching tour, um, bumping back and forth city to city. And uh, over this past couple chapters, he has done just that. And so as we read last week, he, uh, he heals the man of the, of the demons. And now they are back on the other side of the shore. And this is where it picks up. Word is getting around. Um, the, the, these teachings and these healings are going on. And so it says, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. He'd come ashore. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. Jairus, being a ruler of the synagogue, um, he had some, some power, some prestige. Um, he's, he would be the one to uh, kind of set the service times. He would be the one that would set two service times during the summer and show up for those two service times. Um, but he was, he was kind of the, 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 the leader of the synagogue. He was a Pharisee. Um, so him being at the front of the line at the shore to meet Jesus, a man who had called himself a rabbi and the Messiah, was kind of a big deal. This was uh, culturally um, unacceptable at this point. They thought Jesus was a crazy man. So for him to find himself who is seated high at the feet of Jesus shows great desperation. Verse 23, and here's why. Jairus implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. Jesus immediately moved with compassion. Even in a crowd of people, immediately goes to see Jairus' daughter. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Verse 25, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the re reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood, flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. All right, put yourself in the scripture, put yourself in this story. Mark is a fantastic writer. He is, he's kind of a literary genius. If you're doing story writing, he's kind of got a story within a story at this point. They are uh, coming across the sea. They meet Jairus. Jairus is 
dealing with an emergency back home of his daughter. His daughter is dying. He begs Jesus to come with him to my house to heal my daughter. And in the midst of that journey, amongst the crowd of people, a woman comes alongside and wants to touch his garment. Now, this woman had an issue of blood or hemorrhage. Um, She was deemed unclean. And if you know anything about uh, Levitical law, or especially amongst the Jews, if you had any discharge of blood, you were ceremonially unclean, which means you weren't weren't able to touch anyone. If you touched that person, they became unclean. Um, you You were outcast. You were discarded. She had no business being amongst a crowd. It was a major no-no, but she was there for a reason. She wanted to touch the hem of his garment because she had heard and she knew about the healings of Christ. Here's where it gets really interesting, okay? We're gonna use our Bibles this morning, so we're gonna jump back to Numbers 15. Numbers 15, Old Testament. Numbers chapter 15, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. When you're there, say amen. Amen. All right, you guys are way faster than first service. I was, it was pretty bad, I gotta tell you. Verse 37, Numbers 15, 37 says this, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. Powerful language. Verse 40, so you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. This garment, this, this talit is what it's called, a prayer shawl, was a symbolic of, of deliverance and it was served as a reminder uh, of, of the commandments. My good buddy, David Gonzalez, happens to be wearing one today. He wears one often. You may see him around. What I love about this is this prayer shawl right here. Stand up, David. Go ahead. Put you on the spot. See how it has these tassels, right, on each corner. These are the tassels that they were talking about in the scripture. The zitzits. Don't say that too fast. Get you in trouble. Gabriel Boyd, don't say that too fast. And so these, these tassels, there's 613 of them. 613 being the number of the commandments that the Lord gave to the Israelites in the Torah. And the Torah being the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, okay? And so they were instructed to wear these, specifically rabbis to wear these, and the, Jew, the Jewish men to remember, to know, to remember. And it, they were, again, symbolic of deliverance out of Egypt. So this prayer shawl enters the scene, right? This is what Jesus is wearing when he comes through to the other side. And so it says in verse 38, we're again in Numbers 15, 38, and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments. And that word corners in the Hebrew is kanaf, okay? Kanaf is a corner. All right, now let's jump to Malachi chapter four. Jump to Malachi chapter four. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, okay? Right before Matthew. This is a prophecy. This is Malachi speaking prophesying. In verse two, it says this. Are you there? Say amen. amen. All right, still engaged. I like it. Good. Verse two, but for you who fear my name or uh, those that revere my name, that honor my name, that know my name, those that fear my name, the son of righteousness, S-U-N, but what is he prophesying? The S-O-N of righteousness shall rise with what? Healing. 
and wear its wings. And that word wings in the, in the Hebrew, in this same text, is kanaf, the same corner that was described in Numbers. Healing in my kanaf. All right. Jump to Luke 8. Jump forward to Luke chapter 8. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four gospels. Each of them are giving um, their perspective, um, their, their story, their outline of Jesus and, the, and uh, the disciples. And Luke chapter eight is the parallel passage to Mark chapter five, okay? So Luke eight forty four. check this out. In a little more detail, Luke describes, she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. She knew. It was customary to to the Jews. As she grew up, she was aware of this prophecy. She knew that if she could just get to Jesus, if she could just touch the hem of his garment, the kanaf, if she could get under his wings and touch that, that she could be healed. She was desperate. Her desperation was leading her to restoration. She had to risk it all though, because for her to be there, like I said, for her to be there, I mean, she she could have been killed. She was not supposed to be there. She was an outcast, thrown aside, the bottom of the barrel, culturally. But she pushed in and touches the kanaf and finds healing. Verse 30, back in Mark chapter five, verse 30. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, very sarcastically, you see the crowd pressing around you and you say, who touched me? Like, what kind of silly question is that, Jesus? I mean, you can just see the picture of the disciples getting a little snarky with Jesus. But at the same time, I believe that Jesus isn't asking that question because he doesn't know who she is. He's asking that question to give her a voice, to give her a voice, to speak the name of Jesus out loud and receive healing through her belief The healing wasn't in the garment or the kanaf or the wings. The healing was that the fact that she believed that he was who he said he was amongst all those people. She knew. So what does he say to her? What does he say? Verse 32, and he looked around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told the whole truth. Some, uh, Some versions say told the whole story, told her whole story to him. And I love his response. He is such a good, good father. He gives her a name, calls her daughter. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Her faith is what healed her. She acknowledged that he was the son of righteousness. She was healed, her belief. Verse 35 While he was still speaking, Jesus, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. And they're they're speaking to Jairus now. Why trouble the teacher any further? Now, again, put yourself in this story. What is happening here? Jesus is off the boat. Jairus is at his feet begging him to come heal my daughter. They are on their way through the crowd somehow, some way, trying to get to his house and then is pulled aside and told this story and it heals this woman. We don't know how long that distraction took, okay? I do know that it said in verse 33 that she told him her whole story. Now, guys, 
I shall tread lightly here, dear. Um, but she told her whole story. That, I mean, you ask a dude, you know, tell you, how you doing? I'm good. Like, pretty quick story. But she told her whole story. Can you imagine Jairus kind of just sitting on the side like, would she hurry up? Like, my daughter's, like, I'm sure he was desperate. He was desperate. He's probably getting angry and probably wondering why she got her miracle before his. Why was that prayer answered before mine? I was there first. It wasn't time yet. His desperation was in hopes of a restoration turned into frustration led to what happens later? A resurrection. We'll get to this. All right, here we go. Verse 35, 36, sorry. But overhearing what they had said about, would you leave him alone? Just stop talking to the, this guy. Like, she's already dead. Why bother? Verse 36, but overhearing what they said, some translations say, but ignoring what they said. I love that. Jesus is like, forget them. Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Jairus, believe. You just saw what I just did. Believe. And I love that believe right here is the same Greek word. It's called pistis. It's the same word that he used when he called the woman daughter. He said, daughter, your faith has healed you. It's the same word, pistis. He is telling him, you just saw the faith of this woman. And I know what these guys are saying is going on. Trust me, trust me, just believe. Verse 38, they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. So they show up at Jairus's house and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. Verse 39, and when he had entered, he said to them, why are y'all stirring up a ruckus? This is ridiculous. Why are you being so loud, causing commotion? All this weeping and wailing, she's not dead. She's asleep. And they laughed at him, verse 40. They laughed at him. Some, some uh, versions say they mocked at him. Doesn't that kind of remind you of the doubters and haters in your life that just need to be removed? Like they doubt what's really going on. Like they doubt your belief. I mean, you have enough trouble you know, doubting yourself sometimes. But when you're surrounded by people that aren't in agreement or aren't in alignment with scripture or in the spirit, they need to be removed. And so Jesus does that. The rest of verse 40. And they laughed at him, but he, Jesus, put them all outside. He put them out. And in the Greek, put is called ekbalo. It means to cast out, to throw out. He threw them out of the house. How many of you guys uh, watch uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Greatest show ever made. This is a story all about how. Uh, so you, you, whenever, um, you remember Uncle Phil, right? Uncle Phil, big Uncle Phil. Whenever Jazzy Jeff and Will were being a fool, what did he do? That clip every time. Throwing them out of the house. Jesus went straight Uncle Phil on these guys. <laughs> threw them out of the house. You're gone. And I think I love this picture because it challenges this idea of, of Jesus as this meek and um, you know, harmless man. Um, but he had some grit about him. He was serious about his father's business and he was gonna take care of it. And all, there was no room for doubt. There was no room for mocking. There was no room for fear. He cast it out. I love that. And then he makes it a private moment. He just performed a public miracle with this woman, but he makes this a private miracle with the family. 
So he asked the child's father, Jairus, and the mother who were with him and went in where the child was. Verse 41, taking her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. Interesting that she was 12 years of age. The woman with the issue of blood had been struggling with that for how many years? I don't have enough time to get into all that or chase that, but there's something there. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. What did we just get done singing about? The wonder, the name of Jesus. They were amazed, they were astonished. They didn't believe, but by the end of that, they believed the power and authority that he had. Verse 43, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat and order Chick-fil-A for the rest of the house. That's what he said. It's not in that version, but it's in my version. They are closed today, Gabriel. Thank you. I am grieved by this, actually. Anytime when we read the Gospels, especially these passages, um, I feel like we, we need to ask ourselves, what is it that Jesus is trying to teach us? What is he trying to show us through these miracles? What is he trying to show us through these instances? And so I believe in these, these uh, chapters four and chapters five, he is, he is, Jesus is flexing hardcore, showing his power and authority. In, in chapter four, in chapter four, remember he calms the sea. He has clearly showing his power and authority over the natural, over the sea, over creation. He then, then casts out the demons from the demoniac. He's showing his power and authority over the supernatural. Now he's showing his power and authority over sickness by healing the woman. He's showing his power and authority over even death with the resurrection of the little girl, which happens to be what? A foreshadowing of what's to come in his own life. So much power. And he is the final authority. So it begs the question, if he is the final authority, we just sung, we just sung these songs. Like I, I, wanted, <laughs> I wanted to kind of pull some of these lyrics of the songs we just sang because we sang them loud and we played them loud and we believe it loud. But do we, do we, do we, truly, do we truly understand what we're singing? It's Monday through Saturday. The authority that he is in our life. Do we believe that? tomorrow when it gets crazy, whatever's going on in our lives? Do we believe that he is the final authority? Who is the final authority in your life? Who is the final authority in my life? Is it your spouse? Is it your government? Is that the final authority? Our finances, do we find power and authority in our finances? At the end of the day, we have to answer who the final authority is in our life to receive the power that he speaks of. If you don't believe someone is the real authority, you'll doubt the validity of their words. Example, mall cop. <laughs> Do we have any mall cops in the room? Okay, good. That would have been awkward. But I mean, I don't even have to explain. All I all have to do is say mall cop, and you know what I'm talking about, right? They don't have the authority. They think they do but they don't have the authority. And I think we walk around thinking that a lot about ourselves. And we forget who has the final authority. I think Ephesians spells this out even better. This is actually uh, Ephesians chapter one. 
Ephesians chapter 1, 17 through 23. I think the verses are behind me. This is Paul speaking uh, to the Ephesians, the church at Ephesus. And he says this, understand what we're reading today. Listen, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Okay, very poetic, very well written, powerful. Verse 19 is the key verse. We had two phone drops opposite side of the building at the same time. We will not let that distract us from reading verse 19. Drop the mic. Verse 19, listen. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe that believe is that same word I just spoke of in Mark, pistis. It's the same word. The power of our belief is tied directly to his authority. According to the work of his great might, not our great might, not your great might, his great might. Verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion at the top the final authority, and above every name that is named. We just sung that song. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come, period. And he put all things, and if all of that wasn't enough, then he clarifies it one more time. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all, amen. He is the power and authority, the final power and authority in our lives. We have to understand that. We must believe that to have true power in our own lives. We put our faith in anything else, it gets sideways quick. Tim Keller has this quote. It, of course, sums it up much easier, quicker. He says, it is not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. You can have all the faith in the world, but it's directed in the wrong place. I mean, what, what good is it? Where are you putting your faith and in who? His power and his authority. And the second takeaway take from this scripture and from this passage is his plan and his timing. His plan and his timing for our lives. I'm certain that the woman with the issue of blood didn't really want to wait 12 years to be healed. It's a long time, especially at that time, first century, the, the medicinal uh, knowledge that they had at that time. Um, like she, the, it says she suffered. She was broke. She had spent everything that she had to be healed with doctors and physicians is what it says in here, right? And it actually says it, it left her worse off. 12 years. I'm sure she didn't want to wait 12 years and I'm certain that Jairus didn't want to have to wait for this, this journey just to get to his house and being distracted and Jesus being distracted. He was in a hurry. Our emergencies, our emergencies, they must be heard now. Our prayers have to be heard now. Lord, would you heal our prayer? Heal whatever is going on. Hear my prayer now. We are not good at waiting. We're actually terrible at it. Regardless of how long each miracle took, both experienced healing when they were supposed to. C.S. Lewis, Lewis says this, I'm sure that God keeps no one waiting unless he sees that it is good for them to wait. 
And how many times has that played out in your life? And how many times has that played out in my life? All the time. It kind of reminds me of uh, this, this idea of checkers versus chess. Okay, follow me here. I feel like uh, we, we, we kind of play life this way. You know, we're, we're in a battle. We talked about that last week with the, the demoniac and the demons. We are in a battle. Spiritual warfare is happening every day, when you, whether you want to admit it or not. There is a war for your soul, but we are in the hand of Christ, those who believe, but we still have to fight, okay? But I feel like, uh, I feel like a lot of us are, are, are playing that fight with, with the spirit of darkness or with Satan or whatever you want to put on the other side of the table. We're playing checkers with them. He's making a move, we're making a move. He's making a move, we're making a move. It's a simple game, it's one at a time. I remember Gabe beat me in checkers when he was like eight. He was destined for greatness at eight. But it's a simple game, right? Move at a time. But really what I think is happening or what should happen is we, we step out of that seat, let Jesus sit down and play for us, play this battle against the spirit of darkness for us. And he flips the table over and says, no, we're playing chess. In chess, you have seen chess players in here? Anybody play chess? We've got a few chess players in here. Chess is way more complicated, a lot more layers, and it's all about the moves that are happening down the road. It's said that a grandmaster chess player can process and plan through 15 moves in advance. 15. So meanwhile, Jesus in the spirit of darkness and Satan or the enemy, whatever you want to call him, He's playing on your behalf against this person, this thing, whatever it is in your life. And he's making moves. And you're like, Jesus, why, why are you making that move? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Well, why are you making that move? But by move 15, it makes all the sense because he's checkmate. Checkmate, you're healed. That prayer is answered, checkmate. Sickness, healed, gone. Restored marriage, gone. But back here, 15 moves ago, or whatever it is, doesn't make any sense. Why would, you, why would you move it there? That doesn't make any sense. But as it plays out, you start to understand that there's way more happening behind the scenes than you realized. Understanding this plan and his timing in our lives. Jeremiah 29, 11, I don't have this for the screen. We all know this verse, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That word plans in there, um, while it can mean plans, it really means, in the Hebrew, it actually means purpose. There's a difference between plan and purpose. We're good at making plans, right? We're good at playing checkers. Move at a time. I'll make this plan. I'll, I'll manage this thing, whatever it is. Okay, you're gonna come at me with that? All right, well, I'll just do this thing. Or I'll just make this move, this simple move over here. We're good at playing checkers. We're good at making plans. Men, humanity are good at just making plans. But God and Jesus are coming at us and saying, I have a purpose for you. A purpose. And the definition of purpose is a reason for which something or someone exists. Do you know your purpose? He has a purpose for you. And it may not make sense in the little moves that the checker moves we're making. We have to trust the process and know that he has a purpose and a plan for our lives. The story of our lives. Again, I'd rather scripture speak instead of me. 2 Corinthians chapter four. If you have your Bibles still out, 2 Corinthians chapter four, 16, 17, and 18. Such a great reminder. 
Kim talked about, use the phrase, we use this phrase a lot around here, calibrate your heart, calibrate your heart. It gets sideways when you live in the world. Every day, things that happen. But if we can calibrate your heart, this verse has been, um, this, this, verse is, this passage has been an anchor for me to remind, to remind me of this, to calibrate, to fix my eyes on the things that need to be. Therefore, we do not lose heart or grow tired. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Hallelujah. It gives us hope. It gives us purpose. Even though we don't understand what is happening, why our relationships are broken, why is our marriage struggling, why are our finances awry, why is sickness in my body or in, in, in a close one, like whatever is happening in those things, we can have hope that Jesus and God has a purpose for it. And through our testimony, that his gospel spreads. Psalm 37, five through seven. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. Trust in him. And he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Patiently. It's a challenge. It's a challenge for all of us. We are, we're, we're bad at it. But we can be encouraged to be. We understand his power and authority in our lives. We understand that he has a plan for us. In his plan, his timing allows us to have purpose. Whatever that struggle is for you, I pray that you can call upon the name of Jesus through the songs that we just sang and understand that there's no other name. There's no other name you can call. No other name. But Jesus. I encourage you to dive into these, these parables, these miracles, these, um, these passages, the gospels. There's, there's just so much power happening. It's so enlightening to kind of just dive in verse at a time. I know it's been encouraging for me. Uh, and I know that I've, I've learned, um, I've seen a different perspective just by taking the time and not just read them as these kids' stories. Um, the, the, the book of Mark has a few more very familiar stories coming up soon. Um, but I encourage you guys to start reading chapter six even tomorrow as we continue this. James Boyd, Pastor James Boyd will be leading us next week in chapter six and it, it starts to take a right turn a little bit on us. It gets super intriguing. But I encourage you guys to anchor yourselves in the word, anchor yourselves in fellowship and community, anchor yourselves in prayer, that your faith may grow. Scripture says over and over and over about our faith and growing our faith when we are together. Iron sharpens iron. Just us going through this scripture, these, these passages together, emboldens our faith and encourages one another to hear a story of healing, to hear a story of um, resurrection, whatever it is in each of our lives, whatever that thing that was dead, that through long obedience in the same direction, the Lord has restored. As we hear these things, we are encouraged together as a church body. Let's stand and pray.
Lord, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you that you are the final authority, that we don't have to guess, we don't have to um, search any longer. We know where we can put our hope and who we can put our hope in. Thank you for your word, your living word speaking to us and through us. Lord, I thank you for the songs we sang this morning that remind us the name of Jesus and the power of your son's name. Conquering death through his resurrection. Lord, I ask that even this week as we go to battle, even as we leave here today, Lord, that we will be reminded of who we are in you. That we will speak the name of Jesus. Or that we would not be complacent about it or just wear it as a badge, but we would know who we are in you because we know who you are. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in this community of believers. Thank you for your word this morning. We ask these things in your name. Amen. All right, have a good week, church.